Father, we do ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. We're thankful that we've journeyed through Jeremiah. All these chapters it has really spoke to our hearts, and, and we have gained so much, uh, been blessed and benefited in so many ways by going through this book. I pray as we finish tonight that, uh, Lord, you're not quite done ministering to us through the book of of Jeremiah. So I pray that you would uh, touch our hearts, speak to our hearts as uh, we look at uh, the rest of the book here, finish the book. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we've been going through Jeremiah, Jeremiah had been ministering for over 40 years, about 45 years, uh, when we saw that he was taken off into Egypt by uh, Johanna and uh, a group of them that took a remnant of the people and were hiding south of Jerusalem near Bethlehem. They were wanting to hear from the Lord. This is after the destruction of Jerusalem. And of course, all these chapters we have seen that Jeremiah had been warning the people about their idol worship and, and false uh, beliefs and listening to the false prophets. They had forsaken the Lord, turned against the Lord, uh, were doing their own things, following uh, the dictates of their own evil hearts, refusing to listen to the warning of Jeremiah as he came along and said, put away those idols, turn to the Lord, and yet they refused to do that. So Babylon was used of the Lord as Babylon became the world uh, power of the day. And they came and they took away the Jews, uh, those of the house of Judah, captive beginning in 605 B.C. And, of course, we've talked about how there is three deportations. There were three times that Nebuchadnezzar's army came into Jerusalem uh, that we know of in 605 B.C. and then in 597 B.C. And then the final assault on Jerusalem was in 586 B.C., where they came in and destroyed Jerusalem and Solomon's temple, that magnificent temple that we read about uh, in uh, 1 Kings and also in Second Chronicles. And as Jerusalem laid in rubble, there was a remnant that was left in the land. Gedaliah was the governor. Uh, they were told, live in the land. You'll be able to uh, harvest the land, and you'll be able to stay and live peaceably. You don't have to worry about Nebuchadnezzar. But yet there was another rebellion that took place, and we went through those chapters as we were looking towards the end of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and we saw that eventually that it would lead that remnant that was supposed to stay in Judah to go to Egypt, and there Nebuchadnezzar came in, and they would die by the sword and, and uh, by Nebuchadnezzar taking over Egypt. So we've looked at a lot of history, and, and it's a sad part of, of Israel's history as we go through the book of Jeremiah. And as we also have been in this final section of Jeremiah, and starting in chapter 46, it began that section that dealt with the proclamation against the nations. We saw Egypt, of course, they would be taken over by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. We know that there's a proclamation against Edom, against Moab, against Ammon, the city of Damascus, also Elam, all these things. And then in the chapters 50 and 51, we see a proclamation against Babylon. They're long chapters, and there's a lot of prophetic significance as we look at these two chapters. And it's not always easy to put together because we know what the Bible has to say about Babylon. Now, Babylon is mentioned oftentimes in the scriptures, clear back in the book of Genesis, as you read chapter 10, that, um, you know, we see that uh, the beginning of Babylon, uh, we know that uh, as we read about the Tower of Babel there in chapter 11, uh, but uh, Babylon has been mentioned from the very beginning, and uh, it's been a place of, uh, you know, just rebellion against the Lord. Uh, Nimrod was the one that was a mighty hunter, and uh, he's the founder of Babylon. And whenever you speak of Babylon, it, it speaks of uh, all that which is false, that which is in rebellion against God, uh, the worldly system, that's all related to Babylon. The Tower of Babel in chapter 11, where there was this rebellion against God. And Babylon is mentioned throughout the scriptures all the way to the end in Revelations chapter 17 and 18, as we see the destruction of Babylon. 
First of all, in chapter 17, we see the destruction of religious Babylon. And then in chapter 18, commercial Babylon. Now, at this point, at the time of Jeremiah, Babylon is a powerful empire uh, that is on the scene. And this proclamation against Babylon, we know that it speaks of the time. And Jeremiah is writing this when, when Babylon is powerful. But the time's going to come when they're going to be defeated. They're going to be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. Now, it's interesting, as I talked to you and and told you, and as you know, uh, historically, that in the first deportation, when the captivity began in 605 B.C., it would go to 536 B.C., that's 70 years. We know that uh, Jeremiah said the captivity is going to be 70 years, uh, and he was very clear about that. We know that as he's in Jerusalem ministering during this time, that God has Daniel that was taken off in the beginning of the captivity, and he's serving in the palace of Babylon. And the book of Daniel is an incredible book, and then also taken off in the captivity, and the second deportation is Ezekiel. When we get done with the book of Jeremiah, we will finish up today. Uh, Next week, we'll uh, have our Thanksgiving Eve message Then we'll be in the book of Lamentation. There's the book of Lamentation written by Jeremiah. We'll spend a couple weeks there. And then we will go into the book of Ezekiel. And the book of Ezekiel is an incredible book. So God has his messengers still ministering during this time. And as Daniel is in Babylon, he is used uh, in the affairs of the Babylonian government. He ends up becoming really the right-hand man of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why I think that Jeremiah found favor with Babylon when Jerusalem was destroyed. You remember that uh, they came to him and said that, Jeremiah, wherever you want to stay, we'll we'll take care of you. If you want to go back to Babylon, uh, we'll take care of you there. And Jeremiah decided to stay. I'm sure that the Lord told him to stay there in Judah. He was still being used. Uh, But we know that Daniel was used big time. And Daniel, in his prophecies in the book of Daniel, we know that chapter 2 of the book, it's called the very foundation of Bible prophecy. In Daniel, in that chapter, we see that he ended up telling Nebuchadnezzar of a dream that he had. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he called for his magicians and soothsayers and the wise men of Babylon. And he said to them, tell me the dream. And then give me the interpretation of the dream. And the wise men of Babylon said, we can't tell you the dream. Just tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, if you guys are for real, you should be able to tell me the dream I had that's troubling me and the interpretation. And they couldn't do that. So we know that Daniel eventually, who was given uh, the gift of, of uh, you know, interpreting dreams and visions and all of this, uh, as Nebuchadnezzar got mad and he was beginning to kill the wise man, that it was Daniel that said, I will tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream and, and the interpretation of the dream. And of course, he had a prayer meeting with his friends and, and God revealed the dream uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had, the interpretation But in that dream, Nebuchadnezzar, and this ties in with what we're going to be reading about here, um, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of an image of a man, and it was made of different metals. And as Daniel interpreted the dream, he said, the head of gold that you saw, this, this image that had a head of gold, that that's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the head of gold, but you are going to be replaced by another. God has given you a kingdom and power and glory, but you're going to go down, Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to be replaced by the chest and the arms of silver, which is the Medo-Persian Empire. So Nebuchadnezzar knew, he was told, that, that his empire was going to be replaced. We see in chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar makes the image of all gold, and I believe the reason that he did that was because of pride and arrogance. He wanted to rebel against God. And it's like he's saying, my empire is going to last forever. But, but it didn't. We know in 539 B.C., here came Cyrus, prophesied by Isaiah the prophet. We've, we've gone over it. At the end of chapter 44, uh, the last few verses there, the beginning of chapter 45, we see that Isaiah, 200 years before he was born, named Cyrus 
as God's shepherd that's going to come and make that decree that they're going to be able to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And that's what happened in 536 B.C. But in Daniel chapter 5, as we see that there's Belshazzar, he's having a party with a thousand lords uh, and government officials. They are using the, the vessels of the temple that was taken from Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar took those vessels. We'll see that at the end of chapter 52. We're not going to read all of it, but you can read it. You can see all the utensils and cups and bowls and things that were brought back to Babylon from Solomon's temple. And they took them out. They were toasting. They were using those utensils and cups and things like that to toast to the gods of Babylon. And all of a sudden, this handwriting came on the wall uh, behind Belshazzar. And And as he did, it was Daniel that came out interpreted the handwriting on the wall, said that, that this night your kingdom is going to be overtaken by the Medes and the Persians, and Belshazzar, you're going to be put to death. Your life's going to come to an end. And historically, that's what happened. And what was going on is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 44 and 45, where Cyrus and his troops, Cyrus the leader of the Medes and the Persians, they diverted to flow the Euphrates rivers, and as they did that, they walked under the walls into Babylon. The inner wall, the gates were open, and they took over Babylon, but they did not destroy Babylon. Babylon wasn't destroyed at that time. And as we're going through chapters 50 and 51, it speaks about the judgment on Babylon by the Medes, but also it speaks of that Babylon is going to be a desolation. Now, we know that in that vision of Daniel chapter 2, just stay with me, that the Medo-Persian Empire, Daniel goes on to say that that empire that was the world power for about 200 years, that they would be taken over by another empire that was the belly and the thighs of brass. And that is the Grecian Empire. And Alexander the Great, and he was very young, I believe he was about 22 years old, when he began to take over the world, the known world, conquest against those nations. And as he took over the known world um, in his early 30s, uh, the, the famous cry of Alexander the Great, are there no more worlds for me to conquer? He ended up dying. He got pneumonia. And so his empire was divided up among four generals. And it is in chapter 10 and 11 of Daniel, in the beginning of chapter 12, that Daniel, at that time, prophesying about Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire, uh, he gives a lot of detailed prophecy concerning that time that would lead to the year about 165 B.C., when this man Antiochus Epiphanes, the little horn of chapter 8 of Daniel, is a picture of the little horn of chapter 7 of Daniel. It all ties in. It's all fascinating. The little horn in Daniel chapter 7 is speaking of the future time of the Antichrist. So it really is interesting as you start to put the pieces of the prophetic puzzle together. And one of those pieces is, is Babylon. And so Babylon, here's, we're going to read, there is a description that it's going to be destroyed. We already read last week in chapter 50, like Sodom and Gomorrah, that's fire and brimstone, um, the, a time of desolation. So Bible scholars read this, and as it speaks about the utter destruction of Babylon, is Babylon going to be rebuilt? Because what is interesting is Alexander the Great, when he took over Babylon, uh, that area, he wanted to make Babylon his headquarters. But then he ended up dying, and his empire divided up into four regions and four generals. But Babylon, you know, would end up decaying. Um, it ended up being a place where it's deserted. Uh, some have said that there was some excitement back in the 80s. Those of us who are old enough, I was in, in college back then, that Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, but Saddam Hussein, who was the president of Iraq, um, that he saw himself as the second Nebuchadnezzar. He was going to rebuild Babylon, but it was a vain attempt. It was just... More of a, a, a you know archaeological site that they began to rebuild some of the things 
that they had found. And so Babylon, had, where it originally stood, has never been rebuilt. And so as we read in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, it's speaking about religious Babylon, the false worldwide church that will be on the scene in the tribulation period. And in that, we have the, the woman who's riding the beast. And the Antichrist is the beast that's going to support that false Babylonian church in the end times. And then he will turn in the middle of the tribulation period. He will destroy that false church because Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that he will go into the temple and that he will proclaim himself as God to be worshipped as God in the temple of God. That is Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 that speaks about in the middle of the week that is what is called the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew chapter 24 that when you see that, spoken of Daniel the prophet, flee because there's going to be great tribulation. That begins Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah chapter 30. In the last three and a half years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, where the Antichrist wants to be worshipped. He doesn't need that false church anymore. He's directly influenced by Satan himself, and he's always wanted to be worshipped. So that's all the things that are taking place. Also, right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, chapter 18, you have the destruction of commercial Babylon. And we see, I'll read a few verses, but commercial Babylon destroyed in an hour, utter destruction. And we look at Babylon, that city, that great city that it is spoken of, that seems to be a seaport city. And we're going to read about how there's many waters. So is Babylon going to be rebuilt and destroyed, become a commercial center? Or is chapter 18 speaking of a Babylon symbolic of another city, perhaps New York City or Tokyo or something like that. So we don't know how it's all going to play out, but we do know that God's word is going to be fulfilled. So we went into chapter 51, looking at the destruction of Babylon, this judgment against Babylon. We're going to pick it up. We went as far as verse 11. Let's read as we um, read in verse 11 of uh, Jeremiah 51. Make the arrows bright. Gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, For his plan is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. So again, we know that the the Medes and the Persians uh, in that area of what is Iran, and just a little bit north of Iran, uh, they form an alliance. Matter of fact, when you read the, the word Persia in the Old Testament, it's speaking of modern day country of Iran. And matter of fact, Iran was called Persia till 1935. So keep that in mind when you read chapters like Ezekiel 38 that speaks of Persia joining that confederation of nations that will come against Israel. Uh, but they would come together. They would take over um, Babylon. And um, we see that for what they did, uh, the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple as they destroyed Solomon's temple. We read in verse 12 that set up the standard on the walls of Babylon, make the guards strong, set up a watchman, prepare the ambushes. For the Lord has both devised and done what he spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. Or you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come. The measure of your covetousness that the Lord have host has sworn by himself. Surely I will fill you with men as with locusts, and they shall lift up a shout against you. So no matter how secure that, that Babylon thinks that they are, they are going to come to an end. And, and it's interesting here as we read again, you who dwell by many waters. Um, is that a reference to the Euphrates Or is that a reference to what we read about in Revelation chapter 18? Is this speaking of a seaport city? Let me read it to you. In the fall of Babylon the Great, in verse 17, as the world mourns for Babylon's fall, for in one hour, we read, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. And cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, 
What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she was made desolate. So in this total destruction of Babylon, the shipmasters are out. They're out in the sea and they're watching it. So it seems like it's a seaport city. So here again is speaking about the city, you who dwell by many waters. And also we see that it speaks about the watchman, uh, the Lord of hosts has sworn by him. You know, we'll fill you with locusts. Um, we see that in verse 12, set up the watchman, prepare the ambushes. Now, watchman was one that would be on the ancient walls of the cities, and they would look out, and when danger was coming, they would blow the trumpet, and they would warn the people. We're going to see in Ezekiel that Ezekiel's going to talk about the watchman on the wall, that he is to give the warning to the people. And today, you and I as Christians, we are called to be watchmen. We are to be watchmen in the day in which we are living in because we are to warn people uh, of, of things that uh, can come and harm them spiritually, of that which is deceptive. Uh, we are to blow the trumpet and give the message. We're to be watchmen on the wall in a sense. And one of the things that my heart really is in my ministry today is to be a watchman, to be able to, to help you for all of us as we look at Scripture to discern the times in which we are living in. And I believe we are living in the last days. And we're seeing the birth pangs. And we're seeing stage-setting events that are taking place that point to the return of the Lord. So I want to blow the trumpet. I want people to be discerning in the days in which you are living in. We don't know the day or the hour of the return of the Lord, but the times and seasons we can't know. So all of us are to be watchmen when it comes to, to you know, speaking to our kids and those who are linked to us in our lives. We want to make sure that we're giving people truth and that we are warning them against Babylon that will come and try to take them away from the Lord. So here we, we read the watchman on the wall, but we continue in verse 15. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heaven by his understanding. And when he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rains, and he brings the wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by the carved images. For his molded images is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he, that is God, is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So we see that speaking how powerful God is, no one can fight against God, no nation can withstand his awesome power, and then he says those idols that you've turned to, those false gods, are not able to help you. Um, You know, the metalsmith Making the carved images, he's molded images, is falsehood. And the Lord is the maker of all things. And I like what we just read here as we read in verse 19. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. We have an inheritance, a, a, a godly inheritance, an eternal inheritance, a heavenly inheritance. So Israel, God says, you have an inheritance. You know, Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. We know as Christians that we have an inheritance as well. That in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians takes us to the heavenlies. Ephesians uh, is a book that, you know, uh, tells us of the heavenly blessings that we do have. And we are told of the spiritual blessings uh, that we uh, are ones that as we read in chapter 1, as Paul is just telling us of all these blessings that we have. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been adopted. We have been chosen. Uh, and all these wonderful things that we have in Christ. But also, we in him have also obtained an inheritance. We have a godly inheritance. And also in Galatians chapter 4, as you are sons of God, as God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Papa, Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then heirs of God through Christ. 
keep in mind we have a godly inheritance, the a heavenly inheritance. Now, we know about inheritance, don't we? And in this world, when we have somebody that leaves us an inheritance, our, our parents, in ancient Israel, them reading this, inheritance was everything. Um, that they would inherit the blessings, uh, the land, uh, through the family. That was so important in ancient Israel. And even today is important to families. And to have an inheritance that is left to you is a blessing. How much of an eternal blessing it is that we have the heavenly inheritance that is for you and for me. And I just want to remind us that the things that we do for Christ, there's going to be reward in heaven for that. And, and we are going to be rewarded for the things we've done for him. We have a heavenly inheritance. This world, everything's going to go away. So as much as the blessing is when something's left to us, when grandparents or you know, a relative or parents, they pass on, they leave us an inheritance. And listen, the, the greatest inheritance, the greatest legacy that we can leave is a godly legacy. We may not leave much money to, to our children, our grandchildren, but how much important it is to understand that we are to leave, all of us, a godly inheritance, a godly legacy to our children. That is to be of primary importance. And to know that we have an inheritance in God, that we have the heavenly riches that are ours, and that should bring such uh, joy into our hearts to know that. And that which will last forever, which is not going to go away, which is not going to burn up, which is not going to be stolen or rust or you know whatever the case may be. So Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. And then in verse 20, you are my battle axe and weapons of war. For with you I will break the nation in pieces. With you, I will destroy kingdoms. With you, I will break in pieces the horse and its rider. With you, I will break in pieces the chariot and its riders. With you, I will break in pieces man and woman. With you, I will break in pieces old and young. With you, I will break in pieces the young man and the maiden. With you also, I will break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you, I will break in pieces the farmer and the yoke of oxen. With you, I will break in pieces governors and rulers. So in these verses here, that God is using the Medes and the Persians to destroy or to conquer Babylon. In verse 24, And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. So God's going to deal with the Babylonians because of the cruelty that they showed to Judah. And as we read in verse 25, Behold, I'm against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. Verse 27, set up a banner in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, call the kingdoms together against her, Ararat, Minai, and Askenaz, and Appoint a general against her. Cause the horses to come up like the bristling locusts. Prepare against the nations with the kings of the Medes, verse 28, its governors and all its rulers and all the land of his, his dominion. And the land will tremble in sorrow, and every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon. To make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. The mighty man of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They become like women. They have burned their dwelling places. The bar of her gates are broken. One runner will run to meet another, one messenger to meet another, to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken on all sides. The passages are blocked. The reeds, they have burned with fire, and the men of war are terrified. Verse 33, For the, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor, when it is time to thresh her yet a little while, and the time of her harvest will come. So as we're reading this, God will prepare Babylon to a, a threshing floor. The area, the threshing floor was an area, a big area, where they would pack down, where uh, they would uh, just kind of 
pack it down a time of harvest where they would thresh the wheat and and with the winnowing fork and Babylon's going to be trampled as we read this. Uh, God's going to bring down Babylon because of their cruelty. We read in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be done upon Babylon, the inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood will be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, Jerusalem will say. So Babylon was like a monster that just swallowed Judah and whole nations up. And and there's uh, this request given by God's people that God would avenge Judah and the violence that was done to them. In verse 36, therefore thus says the Lord, behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place of jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lion's whelps. In their excitement, I will prepare their feasts. I will make them drunk, that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep. And not awake, says the Lord. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams and male goats. So in this, what we're reading is, of course, um, that God says, I will deal with them. I'll plead your case. And you know what? The Lord's going to see us through in Babylon in which we live in, that this world's not going to last forever, that the Lord's going to take us home. We're going to be with him. And then in verse 41, oh, how Shishak is taken. Oh, how the praise of the whole earth is seized. How Babylon has become a desolate among the nations. The sea has come up over Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of its waves. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land and a wilderness, a land where no one dwells, uh, through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel in Babylon, and I will bring out of his mouth what he has swallowed. And the nation shall not stream to him any more. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. So as we read about this mention in verse 44, this Babylonian God, um, it's going to fall. And uh, it's not going to help. And we have talked about how the, the idols that Judah was worshiping did not help them at all in their time of trouble. And these idols, these false gods that perhaps Egypt worship or Babylon worship or any of the other nations worship, uh, they didn't help them at all. They failed. As the Lord is saying, I'm the one that's the Lord of all the earth. And as he is given this, he's saying that, that you know, the captives are going to be freed and, and they're going to come back. And when we give out or when, when we give up our idols in our hearts, you know, that's where freedom really comes. You know, those idols and the things of the world in Babylon will hold us captive if we pursue those things and prioritize those things. And the Lord wants us to be free. Uh, he wants us to know that he's the Lord of all the earth that desires to work mightily in our lives and to free us. And we are free as we come to him, but also there's freedom as we live for him as well. And my people go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. Verse 46, unless your heart faint and you fear for the rumor that will be heard in the land, a rumor will come one year, and after that in another year a rumor will come. So here, leave that which God is going to judge. Um, why would you want to stay where God's going to judge? Of course, Lot, you remember back in Genesis, he had to be drugged out of, and his family out of Sodom before the judgment came. And, and there was a desire to stay there. And God said, I can't do anything. The angel said to Lot, until you are out of you know, Sodom before judgment comes. And it's such a powerful reminder how the Lord is going to, before the tribulation period, is going to take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. That's Revelation chapter 3, the promise to the church of Philadelphia, which is a promise to us. And he's going to take us out before judgment comes on a Christ-rejected world. So don't get too accustomed to this world. 
That's kind of a sad commentary on Lot and his family. They thought when the angel said, God's going to destroy this wicked city, that they thought it was a joke. And they lingered. And um, Sodom, or Lot's wife, looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And when it says that she looked back, it means that she longed for Sodom. She, she didn't want to leave it. And um, don't get too attached to this world. Because this world is going to come to an end. And he's going to take us, the church, home to be with him. And then we're going to rule and reign with him in the millennium reign. It's such a glorious future that we have. So don't get too attached to that, you know, which is going to be judged. Um, this is not our home. We're just pilgrims that are passing through. And as we read um, in verse 46, God is telling his people, don't worry or give heed to rumors that isn't true. Don't be afraid of Babylon. And you'll hear a rumor come one year, and then after that, another year, a rumor will come. It reminds me of, we got to make sure as we study in time prophecy, when we study the scripture as a whole, keep everything in context. Because there will be rumors. People will come along with, you know, this new movement in the church. Uh, here's, the, you know, this new movement, this new teaching, uh, this new concept. And we need to check everything out with the word of God and keep it in context. And when it comes to those who are setting dates or those who are saying this is going to, you know, a fulfillment of what's going to happen and, and all these things. And I've seen Christians get caught up in, with that that has been taken out of context, rumors and all of this and new teachings. Make sure that you test everything out with the word of God and pass it through the word of God. Verse 47, therefore, behold, the days are coming that I will bring judgment on carved images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be ashamed and all her slain shall fall in her midst. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing joyously over Babylon. For the plunder shall come to her from the north, says the Lord. And so idols won't hope help and here the heavens will rejoice over Babylon's fall we see that in Revelation chapter 18 as you read it and then verse 49 so Babylon has called caused the slain of Israel to fall so at, at Babylon the slain of all the earth shall fall you who have escaped the sword get ready do not stand still remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come to your mind so God has ordained that Babylon must fall uh, because of what they did to Jerusalem, um, because of what they did to God's people. In verse 51, we are ashamed because we have heard reproach. Shame has covered our faces, for strangers have come into the sanctuaries of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring judgment on her carved images. And throughout all her land, the wounded shall groan. Through Babylon were to mount up to heaven, though Babylon was to mount up to heaven, verse 53, and though she were to fortify the height of her strength, yet from me plunderers would come to her, says the Lord. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon, and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans, because the Lord is plundering Babylon and silencing her loud voice. Uh, though her waves roar like great waters, and the noise of their voice is uttered, because the plunderer comes against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken. Every one of their bows is broken. For the Lord is the God of recompense. He will surely repay. We continue reading verse 57. And I will make drunk her princes and wise men, her governors, her deputies, her mighty men, and they shall sleep her perpetual sleep and not awake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain, and the nations because of the fire, and they shall be weary. Uh, Babylon is, is going to be destroyed, and we see that her walls are going to be burned. And notice that the people will labor in vain. But I do want to encourage you, as you labor for the Lord, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. You see, the labor that we do in this world will go away. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't work hard in your job or in your business or work hard in serving your family, you know, and providing for your kids. But know this, that what we do in this life will go away. But when we labor for the Lord, it will last forever. It's not in vain. And maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're wondering, Lord, uh, this year it seems like I'm laboring for the Lord. I'm 
I'm ministering to my kids and raising them in the ways of the Lord. I'm ministering to my family. I'm trying to uh, minister in what you've called me to do. It's not in vain. Keep doing it. And know that the Lord sees you and he's going to reward you for that. And then as we finish the chapter here, uh, we see that Jeremiah gives a command to Sarahiah, uh, the son of Neriah, uh, when Zedekiah, verse 59, the king of Judah uh, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, he went there and Sarahiah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon, all these words that are written against Babylon. So kind of interesting here as we read this. Sarahiah was the brother of Barak, remember him? And here Sarahiah accompanies Zedekiah to Babylon in the fourth year as king. Now why would he go there? Well, some believe that he was to go there to give an alliance after this revolt was against Nebuchadnezzar, had failed. But others have suggested that he would, Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, would go to Babylon. This is what's interesting, because Daniel chapter 3 was taking place. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar said to everyone, you're going to bow down to my statue. So he would bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And so that's a possibility. It's interesting to think about that. But verse 61, Jeremiah said to Sarahiah, When you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off, so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be, when you have finished reading this book, that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. That's, of course, in Babylon. And then you shall say that this Babylon shall sink and not rise up to the catastrophe that from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her. And it shall be weary. Thus far uh, are the words of Jeremiah. So uh, pretty brave for him to do this, especially if it was the time of Daniel chapter 3, to give truth. And, and here, as, as Zerahiah is told by Jeremiah to do this, and he, once again, standing fast in the truth of God's word, and that's what you and I are to do. And as we finish the book of Jeremiah, this chapter parallels chapter 39, and I'm going to cover it uh, pretty quickly. There's some additional information that's given, but Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutol, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And um, he also did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was not a good king, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. Uh, for because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, till he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So we've talked about how Zedekiah was told by Jeremiah, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't rebel, you're still under his authority, but the city won't be destroyed and um, the people won't be killed, and he rebelled. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem, it camped against it, and they built a siege against it all around. This is 586 B.C. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that the people... There was no food for them in the land. So they sieged the city, no food getting out. The people began to starve. The city wall was broken, verse 7 through, and all the men of war fled and went out of the city by night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around. And they went by way of the plain, that is, in the Jordan Valley. And, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king. They overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, all his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to king of Babylon in Riblah, that's Nebuchadnezzar, in the land of Hamath, and he pronounced judgment on him. And then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed all the princes of Judah in Riblah. So he also put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters and took him to Babylon and put him in a prison until the day of his death. So Jeremiah warned him, um, it came to pass. Zedekiah tried to escape. He was captured. He was taken up to Nebuchadnezzar up north. 
And Nebuchadnezzar killed his two sons right in front of him and then plucked out his eyes and took them off to prison. That's what sin does, and that's what rebellion does. It will bind you, and it will, you know, blind you. And it will hurt a lot of people that are around you in your life. And as we read verse 12 through 23, now in the fifth month of the tenth day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem and all the houses of the great. He burned with fire. So Jerusalem is burnt. Solomon's temple is destroyed. And all the army, the Chaldeans, who were with the captains of the guard, broke down all the walls of Jerusalem all around. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the people, the poor, the rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who deserted, to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the craftsmen. And then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. We saw that. They were to stay there. They were to work the land. Uh, but then we saw that Gedaliah, who was the governor that was left after the destruction of Jerusalem, ended up being killed, and, and then they go off and uh, taken by, uh, um, you know, first by uh, Ishmael and, and then rescued by um, Johanna, and, and they end up in Egypt. But review those chapters. And the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, the carts. So here... Um, in verses 17 through verse 23, you can read that. It just lists all of the, the things that were taken out of the temple, the pillars, the fire pans, the pots, the lampstands, the cups, all these things that they took back to Babylon. One of the things that isn't listed here is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, you know, where was the Ark of the Covenant? We don't know. There's some guess that maybe that Jeremiah hid it, before Jerusalem was destroyed, either in a tunnel underneath the temple that was never found, or that, um, that it was buried in a cave somewhere in the Judean mountains or out there in the Negev desert uh, in the wilderness somewhere. We don't know. Uh, the last time the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned is when Josiah had proclaimed that the Ark of the Covenant be put back into the Holy of Holies. So what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? It's not listed here. It's taken back to Babylon. So we don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant, but it's kind of an interesting study as you read it. And then in verse 24, the captain of the guard took Sarahiah, the chief priest, uh, Sephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers, and he took out of the city an officer who had charged the man of war, seven men of the king's close associates, who were found in the city, the principal scribe of the army, who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city. So what you read here in through verse 30 is there's these deportation, how many people were taken. And these may have been minor deportations that I think is being spoken of after Jerusalem was destroyed. We know that Second Kings chapter 24 speaks of 10,000 were taken you know, captive according to that text. So here the numbers are a lot smaller. Um, in verse 28, 832 persons in the 18th year. 3,023 Jews in verse 28. So these are lower numbers. So these may have been just the remaining people in the land that continue to be taken off in the captivity. But now as we finish the book of um of Jeremiah, verse 31. And it came to pass in the 37th year, the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the 25th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of the prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given to him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of the death, all the days of his life. So Jeremiah ends kind of on an interesting note. Here is, it speaks of Jehoiakim. Now we don't really hear of Jehoiakim. Josiah is the last of the good kings. He dies, 609 B.C., and then Jehoahaz's son becomes king for only three months. 
He's taken off by Necho, uh, king of Egypt, to, to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim, with an M, he reigns for 11 years, I believe. And he was evil, and, and that's where Nebuchadnezzar comes in in 597 B.C. And Jehoiakim was, it is believed, killed by his own countrymen. And then Jehoiakim, mentioned here, was king. He's only king for three months that we read. And he's taken off to Babylon. So he reigned for a few months. And he's the son of Jehoiakim, uh, Josiah's grandson. And here it says he's put in prison, and then all of a sudden he has favor with evil Merodach. Uh, it, it, what happened here, there's a couple thoughts. Evil Merodach ruled for the seven years that Nebuchadnezzar went insane. Back to the book of Daniel, as you read chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar gives his testimony, and he went insane for seven years. And perhaps evil Merodach ruled for those seven years. Um, he was wicked, and when Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses, he put evil Merodach in prison where he befriended Jehoiakim. Um, and then at the death of Nebuchadnezzar, evil Merodach becomes king, and he got Jehoiakim out of prison. That's one of the thoughts. A second thought is that Jehoiakim repented and got right with God, and God's grace put him in favor with the king. The thing for you and for me to remember is that we have found favor with God. And we are going to sit at his table because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and going to the cross and dying for our sins. And now the curse has been lifted. You know, Jehoiakim had a curse put on his bloodline. But the curse is no longer against us because Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for our sins. And I look forward to when we're going to sit at the king's table because we have favor with him because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your love for us and your provision for us, and thank you for this book. It reminds us how important it is for us to trust you and your word, to walk in obedience, to, Lord, to know that your word will come to pass, and there is blessing for those who look to you. And we are so thankful that we are going to sit at the king's table, that we have a godly inheritance I pray for everyone who's listening that you would bless us as we enter into Thanksgiving and into Christmas. Keep us healthy. Keep us safe. Help us keep our minds on you, Lord, to have a thankful heart. And, Lord, to, to remember, uh, Lord, that man's world's going to go away, but your kingdom's going to last forever. And, Lord, that what we do for you uh, is not in vain. So help us to keep our eyes on you to be used of you, and Lord, to be able to share with others the wonderful, most important gift, free gift that we have, the free gift of eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, thank you for this study in the book of Jeremiah, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, hope to see you on Sunday. Register for this service. Looking forward to it. God bless you.